In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Jeff Savlov joins us this week on Money Tales. Jeff started working at an early age in his family business, a growing commercial printing operation. His first role was to peel off strips of silver in the film that was otherwise garbage so they could sell the silver for cash. Jeff learned firsthand the challenges that come with working for your dad. As Jeff shared with us, his dad took out the business frustrations on Jeff because it was safe. Jeff, after all, was family. They ultimately hired a therapist to help address the challenging family dynamics. This experience inspired Jeff's ultimate career decision. Jeff is a consultant to enterprising families and is the founding principal of Blum and Savlov LLP, Family Business and Wealth Consulting. Jeff's specialty is working with families who want their wealth to serve current and future generations in healthy and productive ways. He engages families at the intersection of family dynamics and ownership, management and leadership of shared assets. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Jeff hits on in this conversation. First, how families are complex on their own. Adding money and business to the family makes the dynamics even more complex. Second, why it's important to connect family dynamics to what the family is trying to achieve. And third, how being in sync around life values has allowed Jeff and his wife to make intentional decisions about how they've raised their children. One example is how they prioritized being around more when the kids were young and organized their respective work schedules to accommodate this goal rather than maximizing their income. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcasting platform. Now, onto our conversation with Jeff Savlov. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hi, Cammie. Hey, Sandy. We were talking a little bit earlier this week. My family and I went and did the whole local town event where we had the pancake breakfast to raise funds for the firemen, to the local parade, and then the carnival. The carnival. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. But since we're talking money, I have never seen money come out of our pockets faster than at the carnival. It's amazing, isn't it? I remember those days. We live in the same town, so I've been going to that event for a long time. But my kids are at the point right now where just my daughter went this year and she went with a group of friends. So we had a money conversation before she left for the carnival because she said, hey, mom, can you slip me some money? (laughs) I gave her some. And she said, but wait, what about all the games that I get to play? And I said, no, no, that's on you this year. (laughs) What was your experience? I wish I'd known because next year there'll be an allocation. So then they can decide. This year, it was a total free-for-all. And we were just trying to control how much craziness 
they're better than the supermarkets that put all the like candies at the checkout area. These folks put these big stuffed animals, like you're going to win it if you just pop one balloon. The $100 stuffed animals. <laughs> oh yeah, you win and you get this little tiny token. But if you come back and spend more. Well, hopefully you guys had a fun day. And it sounds like there's some good money learning there. There really was some great money learning. Sandy, let's welcome our guest today. Welcome, Jeff Savlov. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here with you. And would you start us off, Jeff, with a brief introduction of yourself, providing a couple pivotal moments that really impacted who you are today? My family had a commercial printing business, and I got involved in it as early as middle school doing really simple things. Part of the process involved, there was silver in the film. So my dad would bring me into the city once in a while, and I would peel off these strips of silver that were otherwise in the garbage. And he would say, buddy, look, you just took garbage and turned it into money. We can now take all these pieces of silver that you stripped off of the film, and we can sell it. Thanks for turning our garbage into money. And I thought, oh, wow, this is cool. And I got really into it. My sisters weren't all that into it. I don't think my sisters even set foot in the building, to be honest with you. My dad was a blue-collar guy, graduated high school, went to the Army. During the Korean War, he was in Germany and he learned printing of maps, came home, was a blue collar, pretty low paid guy, but he saved really intensively with my mom and took a loan on the house to start this commercial printing business. And it really grew, but we had a lot of ups and downs along the way. High school, I was involved in the printing business and into college even more so. And my dad was a really tough guy. He was the kind of guy that everybody loved, but he would take out his frustrations in the business on me because it was safe. I was family. I wasn't going to sue him or quit or whatever, but it got really old pretty quick. What happened was we found a family therapist that had training in family business issues. My dad and I went together and she really helped us dig into a lot of stuff that was going on in our relationship. And then my mom and sisters actually became part of it. And it was a really transformative thing for our family, really positive. And I decided to leave the family business. One, I wasn't all that interested in commercial printing, but I also wanted to see what I could do out in the world on my own. So I went into sales and marketing, and I worked in consumer products, technology sectors, and I had a really good run at a young age. I was just naturally good at sales because I just liked people, and I wasn't really talking about products. I was just like, hey, who are you? Let's talk. And they would buy stuff from me, and it worked out well. So I went back to grad school, and I studied family and group dynamics because I was so taken in by that experience with the family therapist. So I left the world of sales and marketing, went back to grad school, studied family and group dynamics. I did a seven-year postgraduate training at an analytic institute. I got certified as a psychoanalyst, which hardly anyone does anymore, but was really deep and interesting. And 28 years ago, I really decided that was going to be my career. And I started to do talk therapy. Just by coincidence, some of my clients had significant wealth. Some had operating businesses. Some had legacy generational wealth without an operating business. Again, I'm acting as the shrink, the talk therapist. And I said, wow, there's something here when families have the complexity. Look, family's complex all on its own. You don't need money or a business to have family complexity. But when it's there, it's a little bit of a different animal. And I saw in these therapy clients that there was a need for something that was kind of like what that therapist did for us. But it's also what lawyers and accountants and wealth managers like you guys do. There was this space in the middle that was empty. And I started to do consulting work in that space where family dynamics and emotion and relationships interplays with families who have businesses and other things where it brings them together in a different way than the family would be without those things. We hit on so many important points that we're going to touch on here. Your dad starting this printing business 
and they took on a loan. That must've been a really scary time. Could you share a little bit about the dynamics in the family and even the conversations that you might've observed or been part of with your folks? I'm happy to talk about any of this. I was really sensitive. So lo and behold, became a therapist and then parlayed it into this world that I'm in now. But I was really sensitive and I would hear some of the conversations. It was clear to me that it had to do with our house. And I was in middle school. I could understand. Our house was sort of on the line. If this didn't work, the house was connected. And I knew my mom was nervous. It was really hard at first. And I knew there was a time when my mom actually looked into food stamps just in case. She felt like, wow, could this get that bad? We never had to do it, but I know she did that. And I remember her doing that and hearing about it. Wow, this is really scary. Why are we doing this? But I understood also that my dad felt like this was a risk worth taking and it could be something bigger and better for us. It did work out. And I remember at one point when he got clients like Porsche, the car company, we had these beautiful giant posters I could hang on my wall, which were things he was doing and they were a client. Things were going really well. There were ups and downs and I knew my parents were nervous and I knew my dad had this thing about it's worth taking a risk sometimes, but you got to be smart about it. And I know he really did a lot of planning to show my mom how the numbers would work. And he wasn't doing it blind. He was a printer all his life. He had a lot of connections. Like I said, he was a really fun, friendly guy out in the world. And he was confident that the people he knew in the industry would be coming to him with business. And that was a piece of it, the relationship piece of life. It sounds like you were learning a lot in this environment about how the world works, taking in some messages about risk, fear, opportunity. What was it like for you when you started working in the business? Was that your choice? And tell us about those early dynamics that ended up snowballing. It was totally my choice. And there was no real drama after we worked with that therapist and I decided to leave. My parents were always about Most of life has nothing to do with money. The things that are most important have little or nothing to do with money and really pursue what you're passionate about, especially after all the work with the therapist. It all just made sense. I like to say that there are two things my dad and I tried that we're never going to do again. One is have him be the coach of one of my sports teams and the other (laughs) is have him be my boss. And our relationship got better and better after we didn't do that. To your question, it was really intense There's a story that I tell here and there, I'll tell it now, where he was really frustrated. Something went wrong with an employee. They weren't doing the right thing. He was really pissed. And I had just finished whatever. I was really obedient and dedicated. I would do whatever I could. I remember not even asking for money. I often refused money because I was middle school, high school, and I just felt like I'm doing this to support our family. It felt good to just help the family. So I would refuse money. But I came in, I was like, dad, I just finished X, Y, and Z. What do you need? And he turned around. He was clearly really pissed off at whatever happened with the employee. And he picked up a giant green garbage can and he threw it at me, which I understand is a pretty intense thing to say here on our podcast. And my dad was not a violent man. He never threw anything at me before or after. He never hit me or any of us, but he lost it. I mean, it was a lot of pressure on him. I got out of the way, just so you know, it didn't hit me. Oh, good. (laughs) Good. It was big and definitely would have left a mark. And that was the beginning of, wow, is this really worth it? But I still stayed a while after that, went to college, and I wasn't working as much when I was in college. And then somewhere along the line, I had to make a decision, and we had that therapy experience, and I went my own way. Tell us more about bringing in the therapist. Whose idea was that, and how did you find this therapist? 
So my mom also didn't go to college, but was really bright. She was valedictorian, a salutatorian of her high school. One of the most avid readers I know, but didn't go to college. She got married at 18, three kids by 23. She really wanted to be a mom, but she was really enlightened and sophisticated about life. A really wise woman. She's alive. We just had her 80th birthday and took her to the Bahamas just two weeks ago to a place she used to go with my dad when he was alive. My dad was not a get a therapist type of guy, you might guess. But my mom was open to all kinds of things. Other things had happened in the family. And I forget which came first, if it was bringing her in for the business stuff, and then we used her for family stuff, or vice versa. But over the years, we had used this woman for different things. But she was helpful to our family in a lot of different ways. That's where I learned that she had this MSW, Master of Social Work degree, which didn't mean a lot to me until I started college and then had all these other experiences and realized, I think I want to do that. I eventually went to social work graduate school rather than psychology, partly because of my experience with her and because of social work's focus on social issues and ameliorating oppression in society. There were things about it that were more than just helping the person on a psychological level, but making a social impact, which is really important to both my parents and to me. How did your dad get comfortable? I think a lot of these family businesses, because it's so complicated and it's, it's analytical and it's emotional and it's generational, but it does require the leading generation, the first gen, to get comfortable with bringing in a coach and leaning into the advice and the exercises. Tell us a little bit about his journey. He clearly loved me. He knew that he had screwed up many times. And it wouldn't be unusual after he would do one of these things to break down crying and for him to find me and make sure that I knew that he loved me and that he knew it was wrong. But when it keeps happening, the apology loses some of the power. But I knew that he was doing everything, including going to the therapist and keeping an open mind because he knew his relationship with me was in jeopardy. And he had a pretty tough relationship with his father, who was a Holocaust survivor. Bowen is a famous family therapist that looks a lot at multi-generational issues. And this is a great example of that and how it comes into a family business or any family. My dad's father left Latvia, somehow snuck on a boat and got to Mexico, Jewish, sold rosaries because I think the Catholics weren't allowed to sell rosaries. So someone had to sell rosaries. There was a group of Jewish guys that were selling the rosary beads, something to that effect made enough money to come to New York, drove a subway. But my dad's father's whole family got wiped out while he was in New York. He had gotten his mother out, no one else. After the family got wiped out during World War II by the Nazis, he lied to his mother and made up stories about all the brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and grandkids so that she wouldn't go to her grave knowing everyone had been killed. So he was holding this morning all inside, lied to his mother so that she could die not knowing this, but he was really hurt and he really had a hard time with my dad. So whatever I went through with my dad, my dad went through much worse with his father. And one of the things that helped me stay connected to my dad through that therapy experience was understanding, wow, as rough as my dad is with me, he's done such a better job than his dad did. And I had compassion for what his dad went through. I took it another level and hopefully I did better with my sons and they'll do even better with their kids. But it gets really deep. And this stuff comes out in the work that I do with families. It's not therapy. Therapy is different than the consulting work I do with families. However, the expertise I have in family dynamics and what I experienced with my own family and the process we went through really helps me to take all this deep family stuff and the business wealth stuff and integrate it to help the family get to where they want to go. If you ignore the tax and the estate and the investment stuff, 
it's a mistake. And if you ignore the family dynamics stuff, it's a mistake. I've lucked into this range of experiences in my life that allow me to really be good at integrating both sides collaboratively with other professionals, because I'm not a tax expert or an estate expert or anything like that. That's the strength that I've gotten out of all this. And the work I do is to be able to really deeply integrate all the deep family dynamics with what they're trying to accomplish as a family in the context of business and wealth and all the other things that their family's about. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because we talked to clients about there being two sides of money. There's the technical side, which is all that tax and investment and estate planning we were just mentioning. And then there's the emotional side, which definitely includes family dynamics. Getting back to your story, you have all these family dynamics going on. The focus for you wasn't on money. It was on just getting to a good spot with your family and pursuing the things that were interesting to you. So when you split off from the family business and you went into sales and marketing, what was your relationship with money? Money was never all that important. When the business did well, we were able to do some things we didn't do before, but some of our best memories were these really cheap, awful motels, like up in Lake George, New York. When we look back, they were really awful, but they had a pool and we would get those little boxes of cereals, like the little Frosted Flakes boxes. We cut it open with a knife and you could pour the milk in the box. (laughs) I remember those days. I love those. That was like miraculous to us. And we had amazing experiences that clearly looking back, the family was struggling and trying to have a vacation and none of it mattered. And when things went well later on and we did different kinds of vacations, it was really about being together. We had a lot of laughs. Until my dad died a few years ago, we would regularly laugh at some of the things that happened in that family therapy experience. Being together, humor, the message from both my parents that Money is just not the most important thing. Find what you're passionate about and also making a difference in the world. As a young kid, I remember we would go like in the 70s when Manhattan was really awful and dirty and the homelessness was so high. We would go to Little Italy on a nice summer night and we'd wait outside of a tiny little restaurant. There would be lots of people waiting for their table and we'd wait as long as it took. And my dad would go in and he'd come out with three or four soups to go and he would start handing them out to the homeless people on the street. I'm going to tear up. I, I could easily cry talking about it. It moves me every time. I said to my mom, what's dad doing? He bought soup and he's giving it to those people. She said, yeah, they're hungry. They don't have money and they have nothing to eat. And dad's just doing that for them. And I asked my dad about it. And I said, did you buy that with your own money? And he said, you know what? I tried. But when the owner of the restaurant realized what I was doing, he wouldn't let me pay him. This idea that people come together around doing the right thing and helping people. I feel like I've had this really good relationship with money and that the risk my dad took around the business, I understood that there's risk and reward and you got to really think things through and not be impulsive. And I also learned that there's so much in life that has nothing to do with money. There are things you can do when you have it and there are things you can't do when you don't have it. But if you have all these really important things that aren't money connected, you really can't lose. And that was such a big message. A couple of weeks ago with my mom, 80 years old in the Bahamas, She just lives it every day. We're on the beach and a storm rolls in. The hotel was a good distance away and she uses a wheelchair for a lot of stuff of this distance. And we're like, what do we do? Should we make a run for it? She's like, no, this is beautiful. Let's just put towels on her head and sit in a storm on the beach and take it all in. And we had a wonderful time and she couldn't have been happier. And that's really a gift beyond money. And again, without being naive about money, it's important. We need houses and food and all that stuff but it was never so primary. People just kept it in perspective. And both my mom and dad, but especially my mom, had a way of just 
emphasizing the small, beautiful things in everyday life, a cup of tea and looking at the flowers in our backyard, our little postage stamp backyard in suburban New Jersey. What great lessons taught through modeling behavior, but it sounds like also they would talk with you about it. Would you share with us a little bit more about talk therapy in the context of money conversations? How would we think of using talk therapy? I'd like to be clear that talk therapy is different than what I do professionally as a consultant. And they're really different in terms of the boundaries and ethics and things like that. So just to be clear about what you're talking about, I definitely pull from those experiences and training. But therapy is more about treating depression or anxiety or dysfunction. That distinction, I think it gets lost. But going all the way to the actual therapy side, something that's really interesting is the power of money is unbelievable. People, even adults speaking generationally, like people in their 60s and 70s are pretty comfortable talking about what their sex life is like. And now I'm talking as a therapist. I don't ask my consulting clients about their sex life. <laughs> so here's that split. But this is really interesting to me. So people in their 60s, 70s, I was just talking to an 85-year-old woman who's getting divorced at 85. And I asked her about her sexual practices, her self-pleasuring practices, and any toys that she might use in that realm. She was really open about that. And a lot of people are, but ask somebody who's coming into therapy for the first time, what is your financial situation like? Can you tell me about your income and what kind of debt you have? And people get morally insulted. They figure a therapist might ask about sex, but asking me about how much money I make and how much debt I have, people can get really upset. And younger kids today, not as much. They're much more open about a lot of things. But here's an 85-year-old woman willing to talk about all this really personal sexual stuff. And you start to ask about the specifics. And these are important things. Imagine doing therapy with someone who's stressed out and not knowing that they make $75,000 a year and have $125,000 in credit card debt. How can you help somebody without knowing that? It's really intense, but there's a lot of depth. My point in saying that is whether it's therapy or consulting work or whatever piece of the puzzle you might be in, all this deep psychological stuff plays out around money. It's about power. It's about love. It's about self-esteem. It doesn't have to be about all those things, but especially in Western American society, it is how much you make and what you can afford and the car you drive and materialism and all that stuff, the clothes you wear. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of depth and complexity to money and what it means to people. I'm glad you brought up the whole spectrum of money and how people can relate to it. It's interesting hearing your story that you really are on a different path. As you've started your own family, what have you and your wife been doing in terms of money? My wife and I really are in sync around life values. And before we even had kids and just getting to know each other, and she happens to be a psychologist, which is really interesting. Our poor kids are like lab rats <laughs> and they know how to give it to us pretty good too around that issue. They're funny, but we really walk the walk and we said values first. Let's really make sure that we are in sync on our values and what we want. And we both wanted a balanced life. We both wanted active professional lives. We both wanted to be really involved in mothering our kids. She wanted to be involved in mothering our kids. And I wanted to be involved in mothering our kids. I didn't want to just be a father. I really wanted to be another mother. And that's nothing against dads. I happen to actually be one. But there's something about the mothering experience that I thought was awesome. Early on, we had a nanny 
when our kids were born. So we had a three-year-old and then a newborn at one point. And the nanny was frustrating and she wasn't doing things exactly the way we wanted about raising the kids, you know, simple things. But we felt like we wanted to do that. And we said, look, if our value is about family first and a balanced life, let's fire the nanny. Let's just take turns going to work. At this point, I was a full-time therapist. So was she. So we just took turns going to work. Wednesday nights for the longest time when they were really little, we had a set babysitter at night and we would both work in the evening. When she was working, it happened to be my day to take them to Gymboree and Mommy and Me, which is all mommies and little preschoolers. And I was the one daddy. And it was transformative. It's the best decision I made. And we absolutely made less money. And we said, we're going to make less money. We're going to choose to make less money. When our kids are older, if we want to make more money, we'll do it then. We definitely gave up a lot. Right now, our kids are 23 and 20. My wife's working on the book she always wanted to work on for her clinical psychology world. And she wasn't able to do it earlier. But having made that decision was really supported by the foundation my parents set around find what's the most important and pursue it. Don't let money get in the way. And we really lived it. And our boys saw it. And it really had a big effect on them and how they want to live their lives. I think that's so admirable. What was it like for you guys? as you related with the rest of the world? Because not everyone's making those decisions. And as you mentioned already, we live in a society that for the most part embraces fancy, shiny objects. Did you feel social pressures? That's probably no big surprise that we had friends who had similar values. For me, it was harder because it was mostly me and women. I only had sisters, no brothers, but there aren't a lot of guys doing the amount of childcare stuff that I was doing. And that was tough. So it wasn't a lot of judgment. A lot of women thought it was really cool. Some men thought it was cool. Some men thought that's insane. It would drive me crazy. And I'm really proud of it. Proud that I did it and proud of how committed I was and how good I was too at it. To be honest, I remember one time my son was maybe 14 months. It was winter, really cold. So he had the parka that's like zipped up and he's just totally drowning in this outfit. We went inside to a food court and I was looking at this sushi place. And while I'm looking at the menu, he lets out this shriek. And I look at him and clearly he seemed warm. That's how I would feel if I was finally inside out of the cold. And so I unzipped all the way down. I pulled his little arms and legs out. I put the hood behind his head as like a pillow. And then he got perfectly quiet and comfortable. And I went back to ordering and I hear this voice say, wow, that was great. And I look over and this guy's looking at me. I'm like, are you talking to me? Are you talking to me? (laughs) He says, yeah. And I said, what? And he said, like, you knew what he was saying. He said, I never understood what my kids were saying to me, but he just shrieked and you looked at him and you knew what he needed and you gave it to him. And I think that's so cool. And I just remember that because that's what I wanted. I wanted to not be a father that's at work 10, 12 hours a day and maybe have a quick dinner or less. I wanted to be a father that could hear a shriek and know what they were asking me for and be able to come through. And that stuff's priceless. The money I could have made those years, it's a silly thought. It doesn't even compute, doesn't even come into my head. It's nothing but but beautiful. It is priceless. Jeff, you shared with us yesterday, you dropped off your son at the airport for an internship in Europe. And you said there were two major life lessons that happened. And I was hoping you could share that with our listeners. To be fair to him, he is not an unsophisticated guy. He works as a waiter and he gets great tips by schmoozing people. And he knows how (laughs) the world works. But he was nervous about taking an international flight on his own, leaving JFK in New York, had to do a transfer in Frankfurt. He had a lot of questions about 
Did he have to get his bag in Frankfurt and then bring it to another plane or would it happen automatically? So he was under stress. Having qualified this, we're at the counter talking to a woman helping us. And to the left is another person behind the counter, an employee who is talking to my son as I'm working with the woman on the fact his bag seems to be a little too heavy and outrageous amounts of money are going to be required to get this bag (laughs) to Frankfurt. So I'm having this conversation and I see something's going on. And he says yes to something. And I said, what did you just agree to? He said, the guy asked me if I wanted 800 bucks. And I said, yes. And I said, do you know what the 800 bucks is for? He said, no. I said, let's find out. And the guy sees me talking to my son. And he points to me, he goes, do you want 800 bucks? I said, I love 800 bucks, but I'd like to know what you'd like me to do for the 800 bucks. And he said, it's just to take a flight tomorrow at two instead of today at two. You know, he's got an internship. Somebody's waiting for him in Valencia, Spain to show up, not 24 hours later. So I was like, buddy, you just agreed to give up your seat so somebody else can have the flight so you can go tomorrow. Why don't we stick with plan A? And I think there's a life lesson here of don't say yes to anything, whether it's in our hometown, anywhere in America or Valencia, Spain or Frankfurt, Germany on the way. Don't say yes to someone when they ask you, hey, you want 800 bucks until you know what it is. The second part of it was the employee said that you're five pounds over the limit. So instead of 75 bucks, which I thought 35 was a lot for one single suitcase, 75 bucks, she said it's going to be $270. Oh my. I said $270. And my son, he's ready to throw five pounds of underwear into the garbage can. I'm like, well, hang on to your underwear for a second. And the woman had told us it was her first week on the job. I said, look, I know you're new here, so maybe you don't know if this is possible, but he's only a couple pounds off. Is there some way that we could go with the 75 instead of the 270? She said, let me ask my supervisor who happened to be right next to her. The supervisor was like, oh, don't worry about it. 75 is fine. It went away. And I said, so bud, as you go off to Spain for a month, two life lessons are don't say yes to anything unless you know exactly what it is. And if something seems outrageously expensive, take a breath and see if there's a way to possibly work it out. Just asking, is there a way to work around this? Saved us 195 bucks, give or take, by asking five words. And it was that simple. Gave him a hug and sent him off. And he knew I was being a little tongue in cheek, teasing him with my life lessons. And he was rolling his eyes. It wasn't like he didn't know this stuff. Those are great life lessons. I mean, they are great reminders for all of us. I'm not 20 years old and to be reminded, just ask, like, that seems really expensive. Can we talk? Yeah, you should have done that at the carnival over the weekend, Cammy. <laughs> Eight bucks for a candy apple? How about three? Jeff, this conversation's been a lot of fun. Tell us, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? I feel like I'm having them all the time between clients, family, having some interesting stuff with my mom around her estate planning. We have some real open conversations about exactly what the numbers are and what she needs and what the different decisions might be around her end of life stuff. And she's been really open the way she has been her whole life. She hasn't changed when it comes to the end of life and money and those kinds of conversations. And we're regularly talking about everything from passwords for her different accounts to where it all is to what situations does she want the plug pulled and what situations does she not want the plug pulled. And we just recently had a conversation with my two sisters. I'm legally the advanced directive person in charge, but she wants my sisters to understand so the three of us can have a good conversation. And while I am legally the person who will make the decision, she is hoping we can agree. And we had a conversation just to talk about what are the possible situations and how she would want them handled to help us to increase the chances that we would all agree on what should be done in a given situation. So 
certainly more of those to come as things get closer and we talk about, can you still drive and do you need more help? And there are money and non-money elements to all of that. Those are some really important conversations to be had and hard and also special. Thanks for sharing that and all your other stories with us. You're a leader in this space and we really appreciate your work and sharing with us and our listeners. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.